0: Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your MLB is filled with a bunch of delusional billionaires home for Cubs news updates and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. You can find us wherever you get your podcast by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and Maybe some sort of deal if the MLBPA and MLB can actually start negotiating on terms that both sides can agree with at Bleed Cubby Blue. And I am thrilled to be joined by a man who needs no introduction, the host of the Sun Ranto podcast and the co-host over here, Danny Rocket.
1: Hey, how's it going? Happy Super Bowl Sunday, Sarah. The the big game's about to uh commence in just a couple of hours and it should signal the start of baseball season but as you just mentioned uh, certain people certain parties haven't agreed about how that should go down so we wait
0: yeah happy super bowl sunday to you and as I, I posted this on twitter already so i guess i can shout it out on the show i think i'm more excited for the flyover than the actual game my childhood neighbor and one of my lifelong friends is flying the f-16 in the flyover so uh, I am super stoked to see him have his moment of Super Bowl fame. Pretty cool deal for my small little hometown of Price, Utah.
1: Very cool. Very. Go. I'm going to tell people, though, it, that it's me, that it was actually me, because they never <laughs> show the guy in the F-16. I'll just be like, hey, do you guys know that I flew over the Super Bowl? I was that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I. <laughs> no one I will know. You know, Danny, I would believe a lot of things about you and things that you have done. And for some reason, flying an F-16 is not one of those things.
1: To, I'm more likely to sign back up for Eminem, to be honest at the halftime show.
0: I, I feel like flying an F-16 is one of those things that takes lots and lots of skill and talent, but it, it should be it should be pretty cool regardless. It should be a good game. Uh, I like you said, generally I look forward to this game because it means pitchers and catchers reporting is just around the corner, but that does not seem to be the case. Then let's just jump right in. So Saturday, the owners and the players met for a negotiation that lasted well under an hour. I mean, I think I timed it at like about 33 minutes between the first tweets of the owners are going in and the negotiations are over. And I just, you know, I know we've been talking about the CBA a lot, but I think it's worth taking a few minutes to just kind of jump through like why these two sides are so ridiculously Far apart, and I I thought a couple of different MLB tweeters really captured what is going on here. Specifically, you know, Evan Drellich over at the Athletic had a thread that included. The CBT, the competitive balance tax thresholds that MLB is proposing, the minimum wage options they're proposing. And before we get into the nitty gritty of all of this and like start talking numbers that honestly, like 214 million, 216 million, it doesn't sound like that much. I just want to put a bow on this and like frame it as follows. Everything in the universe is going up in cost. All we hear about on Twitter, on the news, everywhere you go is inflation. And these billionaire owners really think that the competitive balance tax thresholds should be flat for the next three seasons and that the penalty should increase so really no one will go over them. I mean, I just think it's delusional that they think they are the only industry in the world that shouldn't have to deal with inflation or rising costs.
1: Well, they, it's. I, I think it's more about the fact that they view it and in, in practice has been used as a salary cap. And, oh, well, we can't go over the threshold. I mean, how many times did Tom Rickett say, well, you see, we don't have any more money. We're, we've are we hit the threshold. We don't want to pay the tax. And it's funny because they call it a tax. It is by no means a tax. It is actually just money they have to pay to other teams so that they can spend money on players. But they don't want to spend any more money at all. So they want it to be a uh, just a de facto cap so they will never go over this certain amount of payroll. Like Certain teams don't care. Dodgers certainly do not care about going over any taxes uh, or, or thresholds. But that's what it's about. They want to keep – that's a way to at least harness the overall 30-team kind of threshold. They say you can go over it. There's penalties as you go. I mean, I think a lot of people know this at, by now, that there's penalties. If you go over multiple times in a row, those penalties get quite draconian taking away draft picks, taking away international pool money, which is such an important part of the game um, to find uh, great talent in other countries. But that's why it's flat. I I don't think it's about them considering inflation or anything. I'm just there. They view that as plenty of money to spend.
0: So I agree with you that they view that as plenty of money to spend, but I do think that they're trying to keep it flat at a time when Technically, salaries should be going up, right? Like the minimum wage should be going up, arbitration should be going up, and we'll talk a little bit about the gaps there. Uh, but salaries at the top should be going up too. I was ta- I was talking to a friend on Twitter, and and shout out to Jason Preeney who sent me this link because I hadn't seen it before. Sent me a send me a piece from MLB trade w- rumors back in December that looked at. The CBA threshold since the time it was instituted and how much they increased year over year. And I, I apologize to readers that I'm going to go through a bunch of numbers here, but I think they are illustrative about how the CBT thresholds have moved over time until recently where they just haven't moved at all. So the in 1996, there was no luxury tax at all. In 1997, it started at $51 million. Uh, in 1998 that went up to 55 million dollars that's a 7.8 increase over the 1997 number and 99 goes up to 58.9 that's a 7.1 increase, percent increase right like that is a that's an increase going up and you could sort of see how that would work then you start to get into the modern Era, like so, you go through the 2000s. The the CBT increases, and I'm not going to go through each one of these because everybody would get really bored. But it increases at rates of like six percent, four percent, five percent. That's pretty standard, until you get to 2012. And in 2012, there is no increase. It's at 178 million. In 2013, there is no increase. In 2014, there's a 6.2% increase. There's no increase in 2015. There's no increase in 2016. So that 6.2% is for that entire five-year period. Remember, they used to increase at 6% each year. Now they're just not increasing it at all over a five-year period. In 2017, it goes up to 195, which is a 3.2% increase. And then it's 197, a 1% increase. 2020 goes up to 208 million, that's a 1% increase. 2021, 210, that's a 1% increase. And you can sort of see how this has gone from, we used to increase it like 7, 5% a year to now we're going to increase it 1% a year To If you look at the current proposals, it's currently at 214 million, they want it to stay at 214 million for the next three seasons, and then they'll bump it up slightly. Four years from now, that's not sustainable like you cannot just keep the salary cap flat and play that's how players get less of the pie every single time and it's deliberate in my opinion
1: well the point of it in the also in the first place was to keep teams like the yankees from just spending such a ridiculous amount more because they had such a large market they had so much so much more money than all the other teams so, but what it's become now it went from a way to keep teams from spending a lot of money to make it so that teams have an excuse not to spend money at all, except of course if you're the Dodgers. Now the Cubs were over a few years as well too, but you know once again, if they have the money to spend, it shouldn't be considered a tax like this. The this I mean they call it a tax. This money isn't where is it going? Where's the money going Of from this quote unquote tax? It's not going to the federal government to pay for, you know, weapons or, uh, or a program you disagree with. Like, no, it's, it's, it's going, isn't it not going back to other teams?
0: I think it's supposed to go into a pool that goes back to other teams for like some of, well, I, it's separate from the revenue sharing. I'm actually not sure where that, that tax money goes. I'm sure. It gets divvied up amongst the owners in some fashion so That's that they I'm have saying. millions of dollars they can take to the bank.
1: I've seen they're mad about some tax, but like, where's this money going in the end? Like, do they pay to it what, to the, the the veterans fund? Yeah, exactly. It's probably sitting in NFTs right now. the <laughs> They've they've uh, switched it all to Bitcoin at this point. Dude, so, we're gonna uh, get to the no, NFT
0: but, thing in a second. Like that oh, was an absolutely little... ludicrous moment in Rob Manfred's presser.
1: Oh, they just get more ludicrous as time goes on. But um, so yeah, I mean, it's the this threshold situation is stupid anyway. Like it's a luxury tax. They fought against the luxury tax. That was a that's always been. Or they fought against a salary cap. They've always the owners have always wanted one, and the players have never wanted one. And and so that the answer, the the way they split the baby was luxury tax. Well, it's a salary cap, is what it is. It's not being used in any other way, but as a salary cap, which it just you know that's this is one of the main. Tenants of how that the I think that the MLB players have been getting kind of squeezed over the years based upon the revenue sharing of the major league teams. So major league teams have grown their franchises. The Cubs have tripled the value since Ricketts bought the team. So name one investment that you have that tripled in value at all, like nobody's house tripled the value. You know, like none of this happened, just a major league baseball team. Um, Apparently the is- stock market, yeah.
0: the, the stocks yeah. out there, if you have the right the stocks and the right yeah. advisor, uh, that went up more. That was a surreal moment from Rob Manfred's presser where he revealed that they paid some Wall Street dude to come in and explain Uh, and analyze the books that nobody else can see. Waiting on the books, MLB, happy to look at your books anytime. Um, But they paid some Wall Street guy to come in and compare it to the cost of, hey, what if you just took your $600 million and invested it in the stock market? And that Wall Street guy who was being paid by MLB assured the league that they would have done better in the stock market than owning an MLB franchise, which honestly, like, that is one of the more absurd things I've ever heard from a commissioner of baseball. Obviously, there is more risk in the stock market than there is in owning an MLB team. And no one has ever lost money on a major league baseball team, but they certainly have lost their entire retirement in stocks. So your move, Rob Manfred, that was ridiculous.
1: Well, technically, Ricketts could have could have bought as many Bitcoins as he could have found back in the day and, and could be a quadrillionaire right now you know, if he wanted to be. But, of course, it would all just be uh, you'd only be able to buy those bored ape NFTs at this point with the money, but you could still or dark, dark web materials. I, you <laughs> but, know, I,
0: um, I can't even keep up on NFTs. They are such a racket. No. But I I mean, I thought that was a telling moment. Rob Manfred comes out. All baseball fans want. All they want is, is spring training going to be delayed? What are you doing to make sure there are going to be games? And instead, on Thursday, he walks out. And I think it was one of the first things he says. He says, you know, Tom Ricketts gave us a real interesting presentation on the future of NFTs and baseball. I almost turned the press conference off. I was just like, really? Nobody has ever cared less about Tom Ricketts' presentation on NFTs, Rob.
1: Oh, Except no, I actually really care a lot, and would I have loved to have been at the Tom Ricketts NFT presentation. If he thinks he gets booed just mentioning a TV station, imagine he comes out at Cubs convention. And he's like introducing the new Ernie Banks NFT collection, and we're all like, oh! you know, what I mean, oh man, the crowd would erupt. They'd start throwing chairs. I, I, it would could get ugly. No wonder they didn't do the Cubs con. Um no it's that was a surreal moment. I think it's going to get surreal. I know that MLB actually has a whole it's they're trying to capitalize in the way that baseball cards you can you, you know with the NFT baseball cards they have a candy collection on the MLB website that it's supposed to kind of mimic the idea of baseball cards that you would purchase this digital file I guess or a picture and um uh, they're not cheap either, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks to Buy this file or you could just uh screenshot it, I guess. You could <laughs> it would be fine too. But uh, yeah, I'll pass or you could I, I, don't know. I I'm not
0: investing money in something that looks like an obvious scam. But I love how ML all fans one is like, tell us when we'll be able to watch baseball. And MLB's like, We've got sports books coming to historic ballparks and NFTs. Look at us.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're we're moving to the future. What are you yeah. going to do with all that NFT money? It's not going to the players, tell you that much.
0: Right? Or Shouldn't the, the players leaders? get to control their own NFT? I think that that seems reasonable. Didn't Wasn't there literally just a court case about this with college athletes? Anyway, that is a tangent. Certainly a podcast for another day. I want to return to some of the things that were in MLB's proposal, which um, was described a couple of different ways on Twitter. My personal favorite was a couple of players thought it wasn't as terrible as they expected, which I guess is progress, like not as bad as we thought MLB was going to be might be some progress. But it sounds anything that doesn't even get an hour of conversation doesn't seem like it's close. I thought Travis Sachik had a really good uh, explainer of what is going on with the minimum wage. And if you don't follow Travis on Twitter, you you certainly should. He explained that, you know, the players want a $775,000 minimum minimum for players. And MLB has offered two options. One is that they would have a tiered salary option that would go from uh 600k in the first offer up to 725k by the time you hit your 3 before arbitration. The other is that there would be just a $630,000 flat minimum wage and you know I want to give MLB a little bit of credit here that's just the tiniest amount cuz this is actually a raise it is a raise against cost of living it is a raise against inflation but it is worth noting that that would still be the lowest minimum salary across professional sports so if you are an NFL player the minimum salary is $660,000 if you're an NHL player The lowest minimum salary you can make is $750,000. And if you are an NBA player, the lowest minimum salary you can make is $925,258. And frankly, all of those dudes play shorter seasons than baseball players and don't have to deal with a minor league system that is designed to keep them in poverty for multiple years before they get paid. I think that MLB can do better.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, they could obviously afford a million dollars a person. Like, I don't see why the players didn't ask for that, because if that if you think about it, let's say you have 20, 25 man roster, that's 25 million dollars. <laughs> you just pay everybody. At the, and, you know, you could field uh, and still eight teams like that. You can field eight one million dollar players, uh, you know, at, at a minimum salary. And that seems like it would be doable. Um, but, uh, you know, they they don't. I, I you have know, seen a lot of graphs the baseball has grown they've grown their revenue over the years they brag about it whenever they can and then when they come to contracts like this they say biblical they don't have any money and they cry biblical yeah, so, losses they've been talking out of both sides of their mouth, but it's like, we have all the information now it's all out there for us to see. We see that the Cubs are valued at 3 billion when Ricketts bought them for under a billion. So we know that we know he put money into the team. We know he put money into Wrigley. We know that's how they got to that number eventually, but he still made a a whole lot of money. And uh, so I, I just, I think at this point we're just not, we're not buying this like nickel and diamond, everybody. But the thing about raising the minimum wage—that's—I think that's a step in the right direction. i, I don't think it's enough, but the, the what they did it at the expense of was they're still really far away in that bonus pool idea. Oh, so Players far. asked yeah. for a hundred and something million, and the and they countered with ten or something. It was so far apart. Um, I
0: think I saw that the gap in the latest offer between where the players came down. Cause I think the players came down a bit and the owners came up was like $108 million. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's still, and they're still really far apart on that. And, you know, so that's the kind of thing where it's like, it, that's like maybe call it the Chris Bryant rule where you can win. If you win rookie of the year, you get more money from being that awesome. And that seems fair that if they, if it could be a performance based, um, situation and and that seems fair especially because these teams own you for a long time they own your entire minor league career they own you and then when you do finally hit the majors they could own you for the first 12 years of your career 10 12 years from the time you come out of high school they could just own you until you're 30 years old and that just doesn't seem fair to me um that the the prime years that you have your prime earning years you know you're at the mercy of of uh, one team, so you you don't. That is the opposite of free market, which is really funny because all these billionaire owners are real all about the free market when it's uh, you know in their favor, but they it, it's all tipped in their favor, and that's that's what's n- not fair, and that's why I like the players coming down and being drawing at certain lines in the sand and not being bought off with a with a. raise, you know, that's not going to be enough. They need to make other structural changes to the way that the money is divided up.
0: Well, and the person who I thought really captured this in a way that put numbers and experience to it that I would highly recommend everyone go check out, Casey Sadler was tweeting about this. All throughout the weekend, talking about his experience financially in the minor leagues, in the major leagues, what the money actually looks like, and you know, he said it may look like millionaires and billionaires arguing to other people, but from 2010 to 2014, Sadler made nine to ten thousand dollars a year. He did not get a super high draft bonus pick, so he's not somebody who's sitting on like seven hundred thousand dollars or one point five million dollars from a big bonus pick check he that is the money he's making he's making sub minimum wage money to play in the minor leagues he then gets hurt he gets put on the 40 man he gets this and that the man has not made a ton of money through his entire MLB career you're looking at a period where he maybe from 2010 to now between injuries and rehab and 40 man assignments and this that and the other thing he's made maybe 1.5 million dollars over a 12 year period if you average it all out and really that money only started coming in when he hit the majors recently, that is the experience for like 70 to 80% of players. The vast majority of players are Casey Sadler's.
1: Yeah. And the agents are going to take a giant cut of that. And the government's going to take another giant cut of that. So it's not like he's just sitting on a million in the bank and compound interest Correct. is how he's paying his mortgage. It's like, you know, and plus like are you are you expecting a major league baseball player uh, to perform at a really high level when he's worried about his mortgage and whether is he can send his kids to a good school and th- things like that? You know, you're asking these people to live like I don't know, like l- I won't say, I won't say like a middle a lower middle class life or something. Like you're asking these people to scrimp and save and p- perform at a high level. I'm just saying that if if, if I mean, here's a prime example. There is a Twitter follow, and he's got an organization called Adopt a Minor Leaguer. And Adopt a Minor Leaguer on Twitter last year, or right at the beginning of the pandemic, those teams told those players they didn't have to do anything with them. They left them in the middle of a pandemic without housing, without anywhere to go. And they had no food, and they had nowhere to live, and they were just at spring training where they're not getting paid at all. And they're just like, oh, sorry, I guess spring training's off. Yeah, I don't know. You might be from another country in here on our dive, but like, you're sorry, on your own. And there is no season. Sorry. Like, I don't know what to do. I mean, left all these players in the lurch. And who came, had to come in and help? Fans. Right. Fans came in and helped. Yep. In mass. And, you know, we talked to a couple of these guys. There's uh, Delvin Zinn was one of the guys we helped. There's a guy, the Zinmeister. Uh, Played for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. There were a couple other guys we helped. I forget their name, Delvin. I remember because we interviewed him. But it was like, you know, it's like, come on. it's This is not – like these guys are not, for the most part, just like living like, you know, kings and rappers or, you know, like lounging by the pool all day. You know what I mean? It's it's not how it is. And they got to train. And stay in top physical form. And you're like, oh, let's let them just eat fast food because they can't afford anything else. Let's make them eat gas, gas station hot dogs.
0: Danny, you bring up a great point with the adopt a minor leaguer programs. And, you know, I imagine you're in a similar position that I am. I'm in a few different Twitter DM group threads with fantasy baseball people or with people who I just talk about the sport with. And and, in all of those threads, these these calls to help minor leaguers to like chip in and buy them Chipotle gift cards and those types of things happen all season long. Like I I can't even count the number of times that I've donated like $20 or $50 so that some minor leaguers can get a fast food gift card or can get some, get some, you know, Chipotle or something while they're on the road. And then we see the stories of like the team didn't have housing for them or they just couldn't cover a hotel night or whatever. And you have players on social media, basically asking fans to help them figure out where they're going to stay for a night. And I just think it's atrocious. I think it's awful. And along those same lines, the Athletic had a piece this week that probably didn't get as much airtime as it deserved because all everybody cared about was the CBA negotiations and what Rob Manfred was going to say on Thursday and what the owners were going to offer on Saturday. There is a line in this. MLB is currently in court paying lawyers, arguing that they should not have to pay minor leaguers. And they are paying their lawyer $775 per hour to argue that the minor league salary should be capped at $2,200 a week. Like, that is gross. That is absurdly gross that they think it is a good investment to pay high five, low six figures to a lawyer to argue that they shouldn't have to pay the talent in their farm systems. It's awful.
1: Yeah. And it's just, it's just how out of touch they are. And it's, it's a structural way they want to run their business. And that's just it. It's like they, they, cause they know if they can pay this lawyer effectively, they will say they will pay less in the long run. They'll pay the lawyer up front now to save money in the long run. And they've figured out those numbers. They know that if they win, that it'll be worth their while financially. So the sad thing is now we're all held hostage by this stuff. The The players that just want to play this game are held hostage. Most of them aren't making a lot of money. Even the ones that, you know, most guys that play minor league baseball aren't making it to the pros. So these are the athletes that are actually helping to train the stars of tomorrow. So any of the top prospects that we're going to talk about later on the show, any of them have been trained by these guys that will never make it. Right. And, you, I don't see why we decide that those people have to live in total poverty that will never make the major leagues. That doesn't seem fair to me. It's just, you know, it's kind of like, you know, do you think, oh, you love Starbucks, you go to Starbucks every day, but you think the barista should not, uh, I don't know, be able to afford an apartment or groceries or a car or the or a cell phone or the things that you need to just live your life in this modern society that we live in. So uh, it's just a shame. And it and the press is bad on it. Some teams have been doing better. I know the Blue Jays raised their salary first. And if you ask me, it's a market inefficiency. If yeah. you want to be a beloved team in the Dominican Republic, where a lot of the players are coming from in Puerto Rico, in Venezuela, do you know what? Change some people's lives. Give them actual m- enough money to eat properly, to train in a in a uh, a good gym, to have the the proper uh, rehab facilities for when your muscles are aching, for to have team doctors that you know spend on your guys, and if you do that, more people will want to play for your team. It's funny how that works. It's like Google offers everybody lunch, and they're like, "Okay, we'll work for the big evil empire, Google." Like, and they get convince everybody to work there because they give you free macaroni and cheese. You know what I mean? Totally. Like with bacon in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. I think, I think you nailed it. It's a market and efficiency and it's a place where play where teams could spend so little, to get huge impacts for their talent. Like if you are one of these players who is worried about making your rent payment or making your mortgage payment or where you're going to sleep or those types of things, like how can you possibly perform at your best? We know there's really good social science research that shows the stress that constantly worrying about money puts families in poverty under. And I just cannot imagine that you can perform as a top tier athlete with that type of stress to your best, right? Like it's, it's not making people better. It's not putting, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It, it is literally putting people in a position where they are going to perform worse. Be, and when you could, you could afford to fix it. I think that MLB teams could afford to fix this easily.
1: Yeah. Well, 25 man roster, it, let's say you tripled their salaries. From eight thousand dollars and you gave them twenty five thousand dollars a year, that's like six hundred and thirty thousand dollars for your for your minor league payroll. Right. That seems kind of doable. Like <laughs> I mean right. I know one I know major they're not league. making a lot of money. Yeah. One MLB minimum saying. per team. Like that's it. Yeah, one MLB <laughs> minimum per team. I think they could probably afford that. I mean, I they're they're billionaires. I know they can afford this. This is this is a rounding error to, for their accountants. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, oh, we were 625000 ahead this month. Oh, fabulous. I mean, <laughs> this is basically a 0.25 basis point interest rate hike, you know, for these guys. Like, it's, it's nothing. And they could afford to spend. And the thing is, $25,000 a year for each one of these guys, that changes their life. And it's not a lot of money. That's still like, you could still qualify for food stamps. Right. At $25,000 so have- a year
0: they're still going to have to work a second job. (laughs) Their wife is still probably going to have to work one or two jobs just to make ends meet, but, but it's life, a life-changing increase. Two other elements I want to hit on from MLB's proposal that I haven't seen get a lot of coverage, but I thought were interesting as I was doing my research. One is that uh, the MLBPA has actually put forward a proposal to limit the number of times a player can be actioned during the season. They wanted it to be four. They have, pulled back on that in the latest offer and said that it could be five, but that would still be a change, right? Like it would put a huge damper on the Iowa shuttle, for example, if you couldn't just keep optioning those bullpen guys over and over and over. So that's a potentially interesting development that I haven't heard a ton of people talk about that. I am curious to see how it would work if you limited the number of
1: options. It always felt like cheating. You know, what oh, I mean? it it's, just did. Like, it's
0: totally it's, cheating. It's like, yeah, we're going to we're going to let this guy throw four and a half innings, six and a half innings. And then we're going to send him back to Iowa tomorrow and he won't come back for 10 days. And then he'll come back and throw six and a half innings for us. It's absurd. Yeah, it
1: always felt like one of those wink, wink things like I but I don't know how changing this helps anybody, because the reason you use the Iowa shuttle is because of running out of pitchers. It's usually pitchers that you're doing this. Uh, with. um, So I just don't know how it helps because those guys come up and they make a day of major league money, even if they pitch or not. So
0: it helps the players make more money is what it does. It it, it makes it so that you can't just send a Rowan wick back and forth over and over again. It makes it so you can't game his service time to the degree. Well, I guess that's not gaming service time in the traditional way we talk about it with super two stuff, but it is a way to game service time and it's a way to game his salary. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. And also save your team totally. so, some wear and tear. I mean, so I I don't know why they'd want to mess with this. It seems like one of those things they're all getting away with and they should leave it alone. <laughs> Call the, me crazy.
0: The second thing that I saw in a piece in the athletic, and I saw a little bit of speculation about on Twitter is that there was apparently a date uh, bandied about in the negotiations. That is like the date an agreement would need to be, Signed to avoid missing games. I have heard people speculate that that would be right around March 1st or towards the end of February, but the actual date has not been leaked. So if you're, you know, twiddling your thumbs nervously at home wondering what day a a deadline, what day a deal would have to be made to avoid missing any regular season games, it seems like that date is somewhere right around March 1st.
1: Yeah. Yeah pitchers and catchers were supposed to be what like this week tomorrow yeah, or tuesday tomorrow. something like that
0: valentine's yeah. day is usually the day that i think about with pitchers and catchers because i always think happy valentine's day to me wilson Contreras is back and playing baseball <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, yeah i would imagine it would be somewhere around there that what you don't want to do is have to have a uh, kind of condensed spring training because there's no baseball activities going on at all right now. So you you have to worry about. I mean, the minor actually the, minor leaguers the, the minor, minor leaguers, the minor leaguers.
0: Are are, if you're not on yeah. the forty man, you can
1: play. You're not. Yeah, you can play. So, it, so they're down there doing stuff. Which I, I mean, we're, we have quite a few exciting players. Might be worth going down there to, to check it out. Some of uh, the the young guys we got in the trades uh, for the on Blue Friday.
0: Yeah. Well, Danny, Danny, you set up our second half perfectly there. So we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. But on the flip side, Danny and I have a lot of conversation about those prospects. What is the deal with the Cubs farm system? Is it good? Is it better? What should you be looking for? There's a little bit of disagreement amongst the experts out there, but we are all prospects all the time after a few quick words from our sponsors. All right, we are back. It is not only CBA negotiation season. It is also prospect list season and all over the baseball internet universe. You can see how people feel about the top 100 prospects in baseball and the top prospects in the Cubs system. I thought this would be interesting to talk through mainly because there's not a lot of agreement here. If you look at some of these lists, some of them have one Cubs player on them. Some of them have two. Fangraphs has a lot of Cubs players on their top list. And, and a lot of this has to do with methodology, which Danny and I will talk about a bit. But I think that it is safe to say that the way Keith Law described it is the is accurate and fans should be excited about this. While only Brennan Davis currently cracks Keith Law's top 100 prospects in MLB, the Cubs farm system is overall better In better shape than it's been in years, like since the days that Ian Happ and Albert Almora and Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber were all in the minor leagues, like that was the last time the Cubs farm system was in anything like top tier shape. I think there's some disagreement about how close some of these guys are to the major leagues, which is where you get, you know, seven guys in one list and two guys in another. And it it sort of goes into methodology a little bit about whether you prefer players who are in AAA going to make their MLB debut soon, or whether you prefer guys who have a ton of upside, but maybe aren't coming to the major league level for a couple of years. But I do think this is exciting, Danny. And, you know, you mentioned the Blue Friday trades and how terrible it was. Um, for Cubs fans as they lost all of their top tier World Series core talent. But they did parlay it into some interesting guys. What do you see in these prospect lists?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, they're young. And I I think the main thing is that a lot of these guys in the top 100 lists of uh, like Keith Law, for example, they are going to make the major leagues and they won't be on the top 100 list anymore because they're not prospects anymore. They're actually major leaguers that should push some of these young Cubs into other team uh, guys. if If the like Keith Law only had one. I bet you next year we'll have a handful at at the very least. It may be even some guys cracking his top 20 because Brendan Davis came in at 50 or something like that. Um, And so it's it's like, and you see that we don't even have, we got a mid tier now system and how it's kind of being ranked. Some people are higher on it because they see the potential down the road, but we're not going to see, we might see only one, two of these guys within the next year or two. The the most people think most that we're not going to see anybody from the U Darvish trade, your Casey's or your Preciados. We're not going to see them. If ever, we're not going to see them for three, four years. You know, it's going to be a while. We knew that at the time. It's why people were mad. They're like, Oh, you traded away. Somebody who can play now for five guys that we might never see. Or maybe we see in five years. Um, so I, I think that is a lot. It's kind of how, as you said, how they value everybody. There's some exciting names. I mean, uh, Brandon Davis, I'm definitely excited about seeing him. It seems like there's room for him on this team to, to make it. Um, uh, I don't know who, I guess Christian Hernandez was highly spoken of. Uh, he, he's kind of like, a, kind of a new one to add to the list of people to be excited of. Um, there's uh Killian, the pitcher who I think we might see before not. um uh, Owen Casey made a lot of people's lists, but he's only 19. I uh, came over in the U Darvish trade seems to have a lot of power. Pete Crow Armstrong coming over in the Javi trade. People are, I mean, the Mets were really high on him. Then he got hurt. So, and then there's guys like uh, Jordan Wicks. Who was really high on a lot of lists too. And they just drafted him. So we don't know yet. I mean, it's, It's kind of like, I don't know, we've seen, I'm old enough, I've seen a lot of prospects come and go, so until they're at Wrigley Field, really, I mean, even number one picks, like Albert Almore, great, how do we feel about him at the end? Like, we didn't really want to see him anymore, you know what I mean? So, it's like, even prospects that you think are good, even when they come to the majors, They can not be what you thought they would pan out to be. So as I'm excited that there's talent in the system, we moved from maybe 28th on the list to 16th, 15th, somewhere in the middle of the pack. What was really disheartening to see was that the Dodgers are still number one somehow. And I'm like, how do they do it? They just trade away all their farm system, and they just got more guys. It's got to be the scouting. They or the they must player development. player development and it's just like, you know, and for years and years and years and it would just it would be nice to be them. Win a World Series, be at the World Series year after year after year, be in first place win 108 games or whatever it was and then still have the number one uh prospects. Uh, oh man, it's that's that's frustrating cuz the Cubs should be there, you know, but they're not.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about the Dodgers in just a second. I think a couple of things you said uh, throughout that, I want to highlight one is that while there isn't a ton of consensus about where the Cubs farm system ranks overall, because some people care more about proximity to the majors than others, I've seen everything from 16, 15. I've seen as high as seven. Uh, seeing the Cubs have the seventh highest ranked farm system in baseball was like kind of an eye open. like, whoa, maybe some people really do believe in some of these young guys. That's super cool. Um, but one of the things where there is consensus, and I think you nailed it, is that Brennan Davis is the top prospect. In the Cubs system, he isn't going to start the season likely in AAA. There is a, if the Cubs are competitive in the fall, I think that you could see Brennan Davis as a late season call up to be a big impact bat to help the Cubs out. I think that that puts some pressure on the outfielders who are really kind of, I don't know, you know, Danny, you and I've talked about this before, but I think that the outfield for the Cubs right now is a little bit crowded, right? You've got Jason Hayward out there. You've got Ian Happ out there. They signed Clint Frazier. They brought in Harold Ramirez. You've still got Rafael Ortega, who proved that he's at least a platoon guy that you should be interested in half the time. That's a, that's a crowded outfield. And Brennan Davis is coming up and could be better than all of them. It's an interesting situation to see who who makes it out of that outfield is kind of put some pressure on the guys who were there.
1: Yeah. I mean, Clint Frazier's the new Jack Peterson, you know what I mean? I don't think that, I think you'll see Brendan Davis when the Cubs are five or below 500 at the all-star break and they, and they decide to, uh, you know, trade off, uh, whatever they have that if he can be anywhere near Jack Peterson, uh, you know, kind of uh, prowess at that point, a little pop, you know, play a little corner. I feel like I could see them just kind of keeping, keeping the flip machine going uh, from last year because without, I mean, I know they went out and uh, signed Strowman and everything, but without signing uh, at least another top tier pitcher, at least, uh, I mean, I'm not real confident with what they're throwing out there up the middle. Second and short, uh, you have you still don't have a you don't have a replacement for Rizzo, you don't have a replacement for Bryant, you don't have a replacement for Javi, you just don't. You have g- uh, guys, but you don't have those guys, and you don't have that kind of top tier talent. So I'm wondering what their plan is really, because you've got some major league talent, and then you've got dudes waiting in the wings. It's really depends how the season goes. It depends who else they would sign. There's a lot of ifs. I understand caveats to what I'm saying right now, but I I could see Brendan Davis being around even before then. I really could just from a transactional standpoint.
0: It's interesting that you bring up Anthony Rizzo because there were also some rumors in the last week that he <laughs> might sign a one year, like six and a half million dollar deal to come back to the Cubs. I, that would be weird to me. Cause I sort of feel like Frank Schwindel was like, Quite good as the everyday first baseman is a lot cheaper. I Rizzo, it's not like Rizzo can play somewhere else. He's not going to go play left field or something like that. Neither can Schwindel for that matter. I suppose you could. Have Rizzo be or DH? It would like keep his back from acting up. He could just hit, and maybe that would be helpful. You leave Frank Schwindel out there to play first, but I don't even know if I love that. Rizzo's probably a better defender at first base than yeah, Frank Schwindel yeah. is. And I mean, we already gave the DH position to Nico or Nick or whatever, whoever's not going to be playing yeah, second Nick, base yeah, after Nick, the Cubs sign Nick, a
1: shortstop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got. Uh, you know, I was thinking about today, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but the whole nick madrigal nico horner uh, up the middle situation that i'm not too confident in (laughs) i think the thing that it reminds me of so much that why i don't like it is the the cajun connection
0: i that's exactly yes Terio and Fontenot. it is Terio and Fontenot too except now it's the it's the nick connection nick nico
1: i know i know and i'm just like Yeah, it's why I'm not really sold on it. I mean, once you watch somebody like Javier Baez uh, play shortstop, the bar is set high because not only was Javier your best shortstop, he was your best second and third baseman too on the field. And, I mean, they probably could have just given him the whole uh, left side of the infield and been okay with it.
0: That's so funny that you say that. I think in 2017 or 2016, I made kind of a, I made a map of the Cubs defensive positioning as to who covered where. And it was like, Kyle Schwarber had this little tiny corner in left field. And Chris Bryant had it had a bigger corner in like the third base area, but like everything from like the fence all the way to center in the outfield and down in the infield. It was like hobby land. Like it was like, it was like here are the zones that everybody else can play and hobby covers everything else.
1: Yeah. I, I don't foresee Nico Horner covering that kind of ground. No, I just, I don't, I, don't either. I don't. Yeah. Well, I also I feel
0: like Nico will be a great second baseman in the major yeah. league. So why put him at shortstop and set him up to fail? Just get yourself an actual shortstop and let Nico be an outstanding second baseman.
1: Yeah, and of course, you know we all are pining for Correa, and then you know, story, and there are there are shortstops in the market. Javi is no longer one of them, having signed with the Tigers. Every time I remember that, I get sad. Me too.
0: I'm gonna have to go watch a few Tigers games just so I can get my Javi fixed. Because I'm telling you, he's the most exciting man in baseball, and I love watching him play.
1: Well, and one nice thing about the prospect list is that there are a lot of promising shortstops they're, yeah, they're pretty all low Seventeen in the years old. yeah they're all 17 years old but you know they're uh you know christian hernandez is only 18 right now um and he's pretty high on the list uh triantos is another well he's like shorts up second but reggie presciano ed, ed howard ed howard although he had kind of a rough year at the plate his first year um the but people are making things about Kevin Made uh, it, it, as well. So you, you've got s- some guys who could come, but they're just not ready yet. And so there's got to be someone. And if you wonder if you do go on, out and sign a top tier shortstop, you do that if you can. Now you just get Correa; he's really good. You know, you I don't think you'll be sad about that decision. Uh, but it does make you wonder, like, okay, well now you got a bunch of shortstops in the system that maybe you can trade for something else that you might need down the line because you kind of locked up at shortstop. So, I mean, every signing have implications for the future, although these guys are 19, so we're still far away from whether they even have value.
0: The other thing to consider about the Cubs having a decent amount of depth at shortstop and at center field in their system is that the, I sort of think of those as the premier defensive positions. Like if you're a good center fielder, like you're going to be a great right fielder, you're going to be a great left fielder, right? If you're a good shortstop. In high A or double A, you transition over to second base or third base, you can probably make that work. I was listening to rates and barrels a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about this in terms of going the other way, like taking a third baseman and turning them into a shortstop and how difficult that transition was. But something tells me that, like, and not just tells me, like we saw it with our own eyes, when Javi would play third base, uh, back in the years of he who will not be named also being on the Cubs. Like, the you know, Javi was an outstanding third baseman. He's probably the best third baseman on the team, right? And so yeah. it's one of those situations where you stock up at those premier defensive positions. And even if they don't pan out at shortstop or center field, you, you can move them to a corner and they're going to be, or move them to second base and they're going to be just fine. So I, I really love what the Cubs have done there with that. I want to mention a couple of other names that you didn't mention uh, when we were talking through prospects. I think that Kevin Alcantara who came over in the Rizzo trade is particularly interesting. He's really high on the fangrass. List he's actually second, um, just ahead of Owen Casey and uh, our own Josh Timmers over at Bleed Cubby Blue released his top five Cubs prospects. He does a great, great job writing up all of the different lists, why he differs, and where he makes those decisions. So you should check out Josh's article that came out in early February last week about the Cubs' top five prospects. But he has Alcantara at number two as well, just ahead of Christian Hernandez. And I I think that's, you know, really interesting, right? To have both of those guys who are so young and so awesome defensively that high up in the Cubs prospects list. And then just for um, context, he rounds out that top five list with Owen Casey at number four, who we've already talked about. And then uh, Caleb Killian, who you mentioned earlier, who came over in the Chris Bryant trade uh, at number five. So I think that there's a lot of young, good talent there.
1: Yeah. And Killian, I kind of wouldn't mind talking about him more. Uh, You know, he seems that he could be kind of close to the majors as well. And talk about having a cost controlled starting pitcher in your rotation for for the foreseeable future that performs at a high level. Uh, That would be nice. We haven't seen that in a while. The Theo's mantra was by the pitching and he did. That didn't but really work. Then out. they ran out of money. Yeah, uh, the the cool thing about Kevin Alcantara is how giant he is. <laughs> the dude is six six, but he's only one hundred eighty eight pounds because he's nineteen. So he's already like they they're. I think they're thinking that he's going to have plus power depending on how he can develop. And this is why development is so important. That's why we want these guys eating steaks. I mean, or, or, or the, you know, that's an old school way to think, but like high protein diet. Like we want the top nutritionists working with the Kevin Alcandras of the world right now. Don't Arose be A race can play-o.
0: race can play-o.
1: Yeah, exactly. Feed these boys. And uh, grow them, because if he can develop significant amount of muscle, I mean, this man is huge, and we could be really excited at seeing him. I mean, the Cubs, they got a haul for their Blue Friday guys. We just don't know. It's just going to be a long time, and a lot can happen in that time. So, you know, guy, things happen in five years. People totally. get injured.
0: I mean, think about they Miguel Amaya. Miguel Amaya yeah. was on all of these lists two, three years ago, and and, and he's not on any of them right now. And, and you know, part of that's because he got injured, Tommy John surgery, whatever, he could come back. But, you know, for a long time, people thought – that Victor Caratini was, you could just trade him and throw him in with the Darvish deal because it wasn't that big of a deal. You had Miguel Amaya coming up behind Wilson Contreras. And now you're in the last year of Wilson Contreras. You don't know if Miguel Amaya is going to be ready to catch when and if that happens. The Cubs are out there trying to like backstop themselves with Jan Gomes, of all things. And it's one of those situations where you just have to remember not all of these prospects are going to hit. I want to go back to what you were saying about Kevin Alcantara because I thought that the too long didn't read um, description of his power and his build on fan was apt and exactly what you were just talking about, which is long, lanky and loaded with tools and projection. Alcantara has massive potential, but still has plenty to prove. And I think that's true for a lot of these guys, right? They are loaded with potential and we don't know if they'll pan out. <laughs>
1: The cool thing about Alcantara, and I've seen you know some just videos floating around Twitter or wherever, uh, but the cool thing about it is, is we're seeing some of him specifically and some of these other guys too. It, it's one of those eye test things. Like, oh, that guy, that guy looks like he could be something. You know, and you can just kind of tell when you look at him. And, uh, you know, if you watch the game enough, there is such a thing called eye test. There just is. Like, you know it when the – like, I remember coming, I'd be watching go to the game and, like, 2014 and the Cubs would be playing a bunch of bad teams in a row. And then all of a sudden a good team would come to town, you know, like the a first place team or, you know, would come to town. I'm like, Oh, that's right. That's what real baseball players look like. I forgot because I've been watching this team for the last three years. But now that I'm, you know, now that the Cardinals are in town, I've I could actually see dudes that look like major league players. Although Cardinals just make them in a secret laboratory somewhere in Missouri. I'm pretty sure that none of their players are actually real people.
0: You know, the Cardinals are another one of those teams like the Dodgers who just kind their development system constantly turns out these guys where it's like, Randy Rosarena, Randy Rosarena was a, yeah. was apparently expendable for the Cardinals. Like they just traded him to Tampa Bay and he's like over there raking and the rookie of the year. Right. Like it's one of those situations where the Cardinals are like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. We got Dylan Gorman coming, coming up behind. So it's fine. And it's just, you know, I, I wish and I hope and I think the Cubs are trying to build their player development system more. It's why we've seen so many coaches come in. Um, like the driveline guys and all of that type of stuff. But like you've got, you know, you got Rachel Folden down there working with the Cubs and the minors. Like I think the Cubs have noted, know that they need to do a better job here. And I am praying that it pans out because they have so much talent in the system and I want it to hit the big leagues ready.
1: Yeah. And uh, that's, what I'm happy the minor leagues will be happening even if the major leagues won't be happening because then at least these young guys will not be missing any more development time like they did in 2020. And uh, so because it, it's it's so important, you know, it's funny, it, our mutual friend Crawley and my uh, co-host on the Sun Rando show, he was talking about how um, it, his daughter's uh, orchestra that uh, he's had to go to a few of these concerts recently that they've started back up. And he says, man, the kids aren't good. Because you know what? They were home. They weren't playing music for two years. They were remote learning. They didn't have band class. They were they they couldn't play wind instruments in a band room because of COVID. And now they stink. And now they're way behind in what the normal junior high uh, flute player should sound like. They don't know what they're doing. And, uh, and so we don't want that to be in the minor leagues. I hope they don't screw this up. This is how people get injured, too. Right. So, so I don't want them to rush spring training for it. And I don't want to, to them to mishandle these, this uh, uh, crop of talent that we now have uh, turned our, uh, our old stars into,
0: you know, I also, before we, we, close out this episode, I want to talk about a couple of more dark horse candidates who could come up and help the Cubs in 2022. Because one of the things that jumps out to me as I look at these prospects lists, and I'm looking at the FanGraphs one right now, just because that's the one that I tend to go to, but is that you've got a ton of really great talent in that like top 10 range, but none of that talent is really estimated to hit the big leagues for the entire season in 2022. It's not until you get down into the 13, 14, 15 range that you see some guys who we've already seen, who we like a lot, you know, the Jordan Wicks of the world, the Manny Rodriguez is of the world. Like those guys are going to come up and play some innings and they're going to throw some innings that will matter. Um, one guy that I am keeping an eye on who I wrote about uh, at FanGraphs, when he was traded over to the Cubs, is Anderson Espinoza. You may remember Anderson Espinoza as one of the top tier blue chip prospects who went over to the San Diego Padres in the deal the, in a deal with the Boston Red Sox, and and he got waylaid by injuries a lot. I think he's had two Tommy John surgeries, but last year at the end of the year, he looked out standing in the Cubs farm system playing in double a and if Anderson Espinoza is real the, the kid is 24 he has always shown elite pitching tools and he could be up in 2022 and be an impact reliever for a team that could really really use him
1: yeah I mean really got sidelined uh I, he pitched in 2016 and then not again till 2021 so that's uh, talk about missing development, but like you say at, uh, I mean, it's a small sample size, 13 innings pitched. I'm looking at it right here. Um, he did walk a lot of guys, eight walks in that kind of time, but 16 strikeouts in 13.1 innings and a 1.35 ERA. So even though he did, um, put men on via the walk, they didn't, they didn't score, uh, because he struck everybody else out. So, um, that's good to see. He didn't. Uh, I don't believe he gave up any home runs in those thirteen innings. So you always like to see that.
0: But you know, if the Cubs turned like half a year of Jake Marisnik into Anderson Espinoza, and he Anderson comes Espinoza, up and he yeah. and he can be like a, a elite setup guy, like he can be the next Andrew Chafin or the next Ryan Tapera that's a coup in my mind. Like, you know, they took Jake Marisnyk who was not going to, you know, he was here for a few more months. and wasn't going to do anything to help the team be, be in contention in the second half. And you potentially got an impact player out of that. And so I'm keeping an eye on Anderson Espinoza.
1: Yeah. I like it. Well, we might, we actually might see him, I mean, pitching at double a you're, you're getting close. And if the Cubs don't, Fill any more uh, pitching staff gaps uh, via signings. Uh, there's an even better chance we'll be seeing Anderson Espinoza at Wrigley Field uh, sometime in 2023. Awesome. <laughs> when well, they when they actually have baseball.
0: You know, I'm I'm glad we did this as prospect a, this prospect deep dive. I do uh, want to keep talking about some of these guys as they're coming up, and we'll get to see a few of them play because they're not on the 40 man yet. We can get an idea of what they're doing and who who the future of the Cubs look like. Uh, We will be talking a bit more about this. We'll also be covering all things CBA in the coming weeks. Hey, Danny, I wanted to ask, how did the show that you were opening this week for the first time since COVID started go? How's everything going at the Trapdoor Theater? It sounded like it was pretty awesome
1: it's going great. We were recommended for a Jeff award. This is the martyrdom of Peter O'Hay at Trapdoor theater. And uh, there's four, four more weeks left of the show. So you can still check it out depending on when you're listening to this episode. But um, yeah, we got a Jeff award recommended, which is basically Chicago's version of the Tony awards. And it's uh, if, and also um, we've been selling out pretty good. Uh, we got great reviews. Uh, th- just this morning, The dueling critics uh, were talking about us for about 20 minutes on the radio and uh, just glowing review. We were all nervous. I was walking around. I was actually walking around Wrigley Field when I was listening to it. And my fiance, who is also the director of the piece, uh, she did not want to listen to it just in case they had bad things to say about us and I'm always the kind of person that I like if you got something bad to say about me I want to hear it I'm going to hear it before everybody else so I know my response before anybody else so I was walking around listening to it and I was all smiles because they loved it so it's felt really good um, it's a it's a great piece so go check it out at trapdoortheater.com you can find uh, out how to buy tickets two for one on Thursdays
0: if you want awesome to go. Well, you know, every, things are opening up again. Stuff is getting ready. It sounds like there might even be a lifting of the mask mandate in Chicago or in Illinois soon. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm hoping that we can celebrate with some baseball in the summer if MLB can get its act together. We will be following all of those developments here on Cup of Cubby Blue and at Bleed Cubby Blue. In the meantime, Danny, where can people find you?
1: I'm at Sunranto on Twitter. And you can find me just by Googling Sunranto. <laughs>
0: You can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy and what she's up to these days at, at BRYZ underscore Blue. You can find all of us and our latest baseball takes, plus references we make on the show here at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. We will be back next Monday with everything you need to know about whether or not we'll actually get to see baseball on time this season. Until next time, bye.